Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. to the Rugby Pass podcast for another week and this week the podcast is a little bit different. We're sitting in a commentary box on a sunny day in the southern city of Timaru with the Southern Regional 7 qualifiers underway and I'm joined this week by Melody Robinson, part of the commentary team for Sky Sport on this co-ed event and the reason we're standing beside Melody is we thought the podcast this week might look at something a little bit different and that is the continued rise of women's rugby. Melody Robinson, a two-time World Cup winner with the Black Ferns. Been a while since you're playing days, but uh, you're still so heavily involved in the game. And women's rugby, uh, to me at the moment, really is at a crossroads, whether it becomes a bona fide professional sport or whether it still sits well and truly underneath the men's game. Where do you see the positioning of the women's game right now? Well, it's the only area of growth in, in rugby in New Zealand for the last three years. So that's a key um, point. And I think, you know, New Zealand rugby have been talking about diversity. If they're really, really committed to that, then you have to put some investment into the 15s game as well. Sevens is... Um, uh, I guess a glamorous sport for women because it's an Olympic uh, gold medal, uh, you know, on the line, and our women's team have been very, very good there. But if you if you want to be inclusive, you want to have your 15s, um, I guess, investment as well because every shape and size plays 15s. And yes, you know, um, the Black Ferns uh, didn't win the last World Cup, England did, but I think that next year they they have a huge chance to win it, more success. So let's put some more money into the game. Well, so much attention has been focused on the men's game, as there always is. It has been a men's sport for a long time, and the women's game has struggled for the headlines. But we're seeing an incredible series underway in the UK at the moment. The Black Ferns uh, beating uh, Canada. Uh, they've also taken down England in a thriller, 25-20. Uh, they will face Ireland this weekend as well. Uh, all of these teams are good sides, with uh, England especially leading the way in terms of professionalising women's sport. Uh, we know one player in particular, Amy Cocaine, who had her rugby upbringing at Fielding High School which has been a real factory for the women's game in New Zealand now a superstar for that England rugby team. Uh, what is the disparity you think between how England are approaching the women's game and how the rest of the world is approaching their women's game? Well pretty simple um, the 15s and the 7s players have contracts uh, look they've been semi-professional for quite some time it was the lottos um, that put the money into the game there but after that success at the last Women's Rugby World Cup uh, they really put an investment into the game and look at the end of the day, I think um, women's rugby is really important to the culture of this. You, you said it's a men's game, but actually, if you look at who supports rugby, it's 50-50 audience. It's women and men. So um, women care about 
things that are right, social justice type things. And if you don't put money into the women's game, then maybe you're going to isolate your women, your female fans as well. It's an interesting point you make about the fan base of rugby because we certainly know from a New Zealand point of view that so many women are engaged, whether they have uh, sons or daughters playing the game or whether they've just become uh, fans through exposure to the sport. You've just been on a very special trip through the US as part of uh, the Women in Sport Network. Talk to me about some of the women involved on that course in America and some of the ideas uh, that they had for the growth of women's sport in general and what you've taken from that in terms of how you would implement those strategies around women's rugby? Oh, look, it was amazing. So it was set up by the US State Department. Um, they pay for everything. It's about bringing women from all over the world um, to do a leadership course so that they can go back to their countries and effect change. Um, so some of the courses, well, I had a Kiwi with me there, Fran. She um, is doing a program called Shift, which is about... Um, you know, girls, when they're teenagers, they drop out of sport. We, we know that the statistics are there. What can we do about it? So she offers a program where they um, come up with ideas themselves. They invest um, in these programs and they get all of their mates to do it. It's not competitive sport. It's fun things. It might even just be sorting out your tuck shot um, at school, you know, things like that. So um, what have I brought back? Well, I, I want to be um, a person that um, empowers women in sport media. So I'm going to set up an association called uh, the W Group NZ, which is a wonderful group and it's about um, making sure that women behind the scenes and women's um, well sorry sport media and also in front of the camera are supported uh, by a network and you know I want to offer a training program uh, for young women coming in because it's really difficult for them to try to crack this nut because it's it, you know you see before a man's sport well it's a it is a male demand. Well I certainly meant yeah. from the point of view that it has forever has started as a male sport it has become a women's and men's sport but I mean the fact is men dominate the game that, that's an observation certainly not a wish well it's hard for a woman to um, come into this environment because it is very male heavy so um, I guess the W group is about offering them some support say yes you can do it and let's make this um, a better game because we all love it basically it's that in a nutshell um, yeah it's a, it's a bit of a tough environment but um, I love it and at least you're here with me because you like me. That's good. <laughs> I do like you. Well, I'm a great admirer of your work. And I know how deeply you think about the game. And, and that was one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you today because I enjoy watching the Black Ferns play. You certainly have a wonderful history with that team. And you played alongside some absolute weapons. And some of those women still are very well regarded in this country. In fact, most of them. And, and I think about the likes of Farah Palmer, who is incredibly well respected in New Zealand circles. Uh, Louisa Wall, who went on to serve uh, as an MP in Parliament, uh, Anna Richards, who is still coaching the game at the highest levels and, and was an absolute um, machine a, a, as a player. Uh, these women have all gone on to be successful in, in many different fields. And in fact, I think in some ways the, the women go on because they realise there's so much more outside the game than sometimes the men do. They get trapped into this career path of rugby where women have always had to think about what else, what next, where to. It's an interesting thing that you bring up because sport's a game changer. It changed my life and it changes the lives of many people. It's a way to, um, if you have got you know a family who hasn't, you know, you're a so lower socioeconomic group, sport is a way of galvanising you to think bigger. And, and get out of that kind of um, trap, if you if you call it that. So, like women in the US, for instance, ninety two percent of women in C suite positions, which is executive position, had played sport at high school. That's the kind of thing you know that sport does for people. Women, men, Pacific Islanders, Maori, whoever it is, it's a 
great galvanizer. So that's why I'm really passionate about sport, bringing it to people and making sure we're talking about um, why everybody should have uh, the opportunity to not only play sport, but also be involved in the administration and the broadcasting, every area of it. You know, there was a Black Ferns series, a New Zealand mini-series uh, between the Black Ferns and the Wallaroos, the Australian national team. They played a curtain raiser at Eden Park ahead of the final Bledisloe test. And then they had a second match the following Wednesday at uh, North Harbour Stadium on Auckland's North Shore. And I went along to watch the game and thought, well, while I'm here, I'll, I'll write a match report. And what intrigued me is there was myself writing for Rugby Pass in the spin-off and one other journalist. Mm. Two journalists covering, uh, covering a bona fide international game of rugby. The, the, if you go into an All Blacks game or any other test match around the world, there are 50 blokes sitting there typing up stories for their various media networks. I mean, how do we start <laughs> to treat this game with the respect? This is a full-blown test match. These women are excellent rugby players. It is the oldest rivalry New Zealand has with its neighbour, and yet... There's two guys tapping away on mm. keyboards. Look, that's a really tough question because that's actually a question about uh, women's sport coverage, you know, in New Zealand generally, netball, Olympics, everything. It's not just in New Zealand, is it? No, I it's think you'd not. see this uh, replicated in plenty of markets yeah. around the world, especially rugby markets. Uh, the UK just did a um, study. 1% of the bylines were female um, sport reporters in all of their coverage, uh, I think it was about two months ago. 1%? 1%. In New Zealand, we have um, five full-time sport reporters in the whole of the country, four female editors out of 22 of the newspapers. So, um, yeah, it's not a great position for women to be in. Um, but, look, I... I at the end of the day, if you look at what happened at the Olympics, there were more female athletes and they were more successful than male athletes. You're talking from a New Zealand perspective. Yes, New Zealand perspective. And so what happened there was there was more coverage of female sports. So I think that their success then generates the coverage. So um, there's hope. If females keep doing really well on the field, then hopefully that will be reflected in the coverage. I'm going to ask a, maybe a controversial question here because we see coverage for female athletes and not all female athletes who are successful in their sports, and, and I'd include rugby in this, get the coverage. Some who aren't really successful at all get plenty of coverage. We know why. And why is that, Mel? Uh, let's, let's face it, there's... Um, what, what would you call it? It's kind of a a sexist bias in a way in how women are portrayed as athletes, so the pretty ones get covered more than perhaps the normal shapes do. Um, and as a filmer athlete, as a woman in, uh, in sports media, how do you feel? Do you bristle at that? Because the interesting thing is you, you, you don't want to take away from that person and the, and the marketing of them as a brand, as a sports person. But by the same token, how do we make sure that we are sharing this coverage around and that it's the success of the athlete rather than the image of the athlete that is getting the coverage that is getting the media? Well, luckily, the New Zealand um, Olympic Committee, uh, led by Ashley Abbott, who's the comms uh, lead there is trying to change that conversation in the media and take it away from what athletes look like and just to talk about sport. Um, look, I, I don't bristle at gorgeous looking at female athletes getting covered. I think it's great that they're getting covered. What I do get brassed off with is um, somebody from New Zealand Rugby saying to me, oh, with the Olympics, for instance, uh, when New Zealand won the silver medal and lost to Australia, this person said, oh, yeah, but our girls were just so much bigger. Well, so... 
that's what the coach decided. He was going to pick power players. We've got smaller athletes. So what if they're bigger? That's what we are as a nation. Just because they're females and they looked a bit bigger than the little tiny little Australians, there was that negative connotation. I get really angry at that. We are a nation which has got a lot of different sizes and just because the female athletes don't look at their bodies and go, mm, you know, okay, so I'm, I'm brassed off with that. I want to change that conversation. Well, let's change this conversation and get it back to rugby and get it back to the women's game in particular, which is what we're talking about today on the Rugby Pass podcast, joined by two-time World Cup winning Blackfern Melody Robinson, now an integral part of the sports media in New Zealand and a part of the Sky Sport commentary team. We're in Timaru today in the southern city just south of Christchurch. It is the Southern Regional Sevens qualifiers here in New Zealand ahead of the summer series of Sevens in New Zealand rugby. And we're talking with Mel today about the women's game in general and also about the direction it's taking. And what we're seeing, uh, I think, Mel, is the growth and expansion of the skill set of women's rugby players. I think there has been uh, a perception in the past that the women certainly couldn't pass left and right. They certainly couldn't kick well. They certainly couldn't make big tackles. Uh, all of that has gone by the mm. by. We have witnessed, certainly in this country over the last five years and through the growth of the game, Ireland, Wales, Scotland, England, France and the US, that it is now the skill set that has become just as it is in the men's game, the most fundamental element for women's rugby. We always had women in this country that could kick, pass and do all of it. It's just that we only had a small group. Now we've got so many new athletes coming into the game and um, the female rugby players listen to the coaches so they pick up the skills a little bit um, probably more quickly than you know some of the guys do. It's, it's the truth. Every coach says that to me. Glenn Moore, the current coach of the Backfern, says that. Um, so yes, there's a huge number of women who look fantastic out there, fit, um, fast, everything. And in terms of the world, well, next year's Women's Rugby World Cup is going to be incredible because not only are you going to have all of the sevens players available, that's why they rescheduled it um, five years out instead of four, um, but the investment around the world means that there'll be more nations competitive. Last time uh, we lost to Ireland in the um, pool play, so we missed out on, on playing that final. Uh, this time I bet you New Zealand's going to be right up there because they're looking so great, having been England and Canada so far. Um, um, but there's going to be other nations that will be up there too, so it's going to be a really exciting World Cup to watch. I know you're big on 15s, and uh, that has been a major thrust of your argument to keep publicising the women's game, to support the women's game. But there's no doubt that 15s is under pressure from 7s. It is now an Olympic sport. Other countries that perhaps uh, are producing uh, athletes purely on pace who maybe can't fulfil all the roles in a 15-a-side game, maybe they will focus on the 7s game. So are we in a battle here in the women's sport in particular between the tradition of 15s and the importance that it has to you and players like you uh, and Sevens which really is I guess moving towards being the glamour event of the global game. Yes, very simple answer yes but the issue is that the women's only have um, officially four tournaments so far for this season, hopefully five. So five tournaments in 12 months is not enough rugby. So if you truly want to invest in your women's sevens players being great players and hopefully taking out a gold medal, they have to play 15s as well because that's we're gonna, they're going to pick up the skills. So that's my argument. If you really want them to be good, they've got to play all forms of the game. 
Well, well, let's move away from the women for a start because uh, you're equally qualified to discuss the men's game. The All Blacks uh, have a test match against France overnight tonight and, uh, of course, the Northern Tour in full swing. Uh, let's not talk about games specifically, but trends. Uh, we know that Ireland are trending upwards. Uh, we know Eddie Jones is making all the right noises and England are getting all the right results. Uh, we know Australia has had uh, some long overdue success under Michael Checker. Uh, it's been a tough year for them. What do you see as the major movements in the men's game and uh, where do you see the teams heading as they get to the end of the year and beyond? Geez, that's a tough question actually. Um, look, New Zealand is at the top, everybody's emulating them. So if you look at Ireland for instance, um, we saw a certain style that they rolled out at the World Cup because um, you know their Kiwi coach decided they only had that kind of uh, athlete to do that kind of style um, but most teams across the world are trying to get the kind of athlete that New Zealand and Australia have which is a mixture of different bodies and abilities and I'm talking about the Pacific Island player of course um, or the um, you know the uh, with England they're bringing more of the, the black Caribbean players in as well and that just adds to their um, progress on the field so I think that's where it's heading a different style and mix of athletes and um, coaches want to push them to play instinctively so you've got your structures but they have to know how to read the game so that's that's it that's that Wayne Smith philosophy that took five to six years to sort of um, come into being with the All Blacks which they are really um, successful off I guess that platform. Mel, when you were playing the game, and I've spoken to people who played with you, coached with you, played against you, and uh, you were known as a ferocious tackler. Dirty. Somewhat, dirty? I was dirty. <laughs> I was so dirty. <laughs> but you could get away with it those days. Well, right? and, that's, and that brings me to my, my last point for the podcast today here on Rugby Pass, is that a conversation has been opened after the Ireland All Black Test match in Dublin. A conversation around safety, a conversation around the line that needs to be drawn, a conversation about... Uh, player welfare and a conversation about uh, duty of care. Uh, this term was brought up by Gordon Darcy, the former Irish international, and, and we debated quite strongly our opinions of where that line is and and this duty of care argument. Do you think rugby after that test match has changed forever because of the conversation that started after that test and uh, after the Rob Henshaw injury in particular? Well, it depends what um, society says at the end of the day. And we know that social media has given everybody a voice and it might not be an educated voice, but um, if people start saying we've got to clean this game up and we're worried about the injuries, then yes, it will change. Um, and, you know, it's a tough one. OK, if you look at uh, NFL, uh, rugby union has got less head injuries than them. It's just that it looks so much uh, more impactful when somebody does a high tackle, I guess. Um, so it depends what the people say. If people start saying we've got to clean this game up, we've got to get rid of that, then yes, it will change and our game will be changed forever. And do you think that's a good thing? Well, it's a, like as an athlete, I love smashing people. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, I've got two sons, and if I want them to play rugby, I don't want them to have concussion and have long-lasting uh, effects from that. So, yes. A collision sport, though, one in which you cannot mitigate for every injury. You cannot mitigate for every broken bone, every bruise, every scrape, every accidental contact in the match. So uh, we're, we're sitting here now on the precipice between uh, the public condemnation of perceived foul play and the very tenet of the game, which is to tackle someone hard and win the ball. Um, 
Do you want your sport to succeed and stay and be around for a long time? Then you have to be mindful of what mums say. They're not going to want their kids to go out there and get smashed, so you're going to have to make the game which is inclusive of their needs as well. Simple. Spoken like a true mum. Thanks, Mel. Thanks, mate. <laughs> Melody Robinson joining us on the Rugby Pass podcast every week. Another one. And today we're focused on the women's game and a little bit on the violence from someone who hurt a few people in her storied Black Ferns career. We'll see you next week on the Rugby Pass podcast. In the meantime, get to rugbypass.com and make sure you sign up for all the rugby you could possibly hope to watch. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.